You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Welcome to Wednesday night, this dark, dark night in the middle of fall. Here we are. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with all of you. And I am so honored and excited that I get to interview an icon of the Calvary Church, Teresa Prophet. And so I know that we're going to laugh. And her, her and I, we will probably cry at some point. We know this. this. This will probably get emotional. And I'm okay with that because Teresa Prophet has been a part of this church and a part of my life as long as I can remember. Um, And this is a special opportunity um, when we were discussing this series and who we were going to invite to be interviewed. You were my idea, so I'm the one that you blame and you throw darts at from here on uh, out, but I demanded that I get the privilege of interviewing one of my personal heroes Sister Teresa Prophet prayed with me the night I got the Holy Ghost as a six-year-old child. And so she is very, very special to me and to my family for many reasons. But we are thankful that she agreed and is submitting to this (laughs) wonderful process. But um, So we have questions that we're going to ask her, but I told her I reserve the right to... (laughs) go off the cuff if she says something that I am interested in or want to hear more about um, as it relates to Calvary especially. But we're going to begin with the beginning. Sister Teresa, when were you born and where? (laughs) Well, I want to say something first. Uh Uh-oh. See, here we go. (laughs) Um, I will cry. It's funny you said that, because I really had that in my notes. I wanted to explain. I will cry. I always cry. I have been, there are some of the kids that used to be in my class that would wait and wait (laughs) to see when I would cry. And you know, I talked to the Lord about it one time. I thought, you know, it's not effective (laughs) if you just stand up there and cry. You need to be effective. And I really prayed about it. God, I don't want to cry. And God said, all right, I'll give you a hard heart. Well, I said, well, never mind. <laughs> so. Thank you. Somebody, Trish, be ready. Get my tissues for me. So I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. Hallelujah. And I'm very, very thankful. I was born in the cold December when there were horse and buggies <laughs> in 1954. So I'm going to be 67. Wow. I decided you might as well embrace it. All right. Greg Meadows. Oh, Greg and I are the same age. He's a little bit older. Oh, okay. 
and Gary Abston. We oh. three are just about the same age, just a few months separating us. So wow. I'm going to, so Cincinnati, Ohio, All right. my parents were um, dating. And my mom and dad met at my dad's mother's funeral. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. My grandma said, you need to take that family something for the funeral. Mrs. Prophet died, and they have 15 kids. So you better take it. So mother took something, whatever it was, over. And the rest is history. Yeah. Um, But my mother's uncle went to the church in Cincinnati on Vine Street, Denver Lay. And Uncle Denver said, now listen, if you two are going to date, you've got to go to church with me in Mm. Cincinnati. So, you know, you didn't say no to my Uncle Denver. He's awful quiet. Mm -hmm. I remember that. But you didn't say no to my Uncle Denver. So mother and dad went. Mother got baptized and got the Holy Ghost first. She always reminded dad of that. And (laughs) then he came in. And they were the first couple that your grandparents married in Cincinnati. Wow, that's pretty cool. See, I knew we learned something. That's amazing. I always tell you more than you want to know. Yeah. (laughs) Well, on that note, (laughs) what was your family like growing up? Well, there wasn't 15 children. On my mother's side, there were nine. Mm. So I'm the oldest of five. Okay. And I'm the meekest and the quietest of five. My youngest, and so there's me, and then two years, my sister that I talk about a lot that lives an hour and a half from here. She and I are smart and live in Ohio. The rest of the family doesn't. And I have a brother. And then we were blessed with twins, I have twin sisters. And when they were born, we thought mother had live doll babies for us to play with. Nobody had twins back then. And it was really rare, and they have always been such a pleasure. But there's five of us kids, and my mother and my father. My dad passed away uh, 25 years ago. Yes, but we were very, very close to one of his brothers. Okay, I wanted you to, to explain that connection here at Calvary. Because a lot of people think that's my father too, and that, it's okay. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so my dad and his brother were very, very close. There's, there's uh, a little more than a year that separated them, so they were very, very close. And his name is Huey Prophet. Another icon. Another icon at church. And the reason Uncle Huey is in church is because when mom and dad came in, of course, you know, dad said, brother, you went to the Navy with me? We spent all that time in the Navy. You might as well come to church with me too. So he did. And he's been, you know, in church. And when my dad was dying, he said, I turn you over to your uncle. Wow. So, sorry, Uncle Huey, you're stuck with me now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Yes. So, talking about family, what is a tradition that the prophet family has that you love? One that is your favorite. One of the things that I thought of with this question right away <clears throat> was something my father started when there was, there was the five of us kids, so we were all born by then. 
but it, 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 seven in the family mm-hmm. <laughs> is a good-sized family, and we had a good-sized table in the dining room. We lived in St. Bernard on Elizabeth Place. I will never forget that house. And we had a large dining room and a large table, and Dad said, you know what? Your mother has cooked all this food, and we sit down and gobble it up, and we're not doing that. I think the twins were still in high chairs. He said, we're not doing that. So from then on, we all stood around the table behind our chairs, and we were not allowed to sit down mm-hmm. until Mother came in and sat down. That's a great then idea. Then we all sat down at the table, and we prayed. Wow. And then we ate. But Mother sat first, and if she would ever try to open the car door herself that was a no-no whenever he was there he wanted to help her and he wanted to open the car door for her so that is something that really sticks in my mind how he really honored my mother wow that's a beautiful and I appreciate that yes who is the person who influenced your life the most and why Okay. We go. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> I have um, several people that have influenced my life, but one that I remember the most that I cherish, in addition to my mother, for many reasons, is Sister Mary Alice Pasley. She was my teacher in, in uh, Sunday school in class on, on uh, Tuesday nights, I guess it was back then, when we had children's ministry. And I remember all of her puppets and her flannel graph. And once a year, we would have, we didn't call it a children's revival. I don't know what we called it, but to me it was kind of a Holy Ghost day for kids. And when I was seven years old, I remember being in that room. I could still remember the room. I almost remember where I was standing. And she would teach us, you need the Holy Ghost. That's really important. And so I started seeking for the Holy Ghost. And there was a lot of people that were there that were helping us to pray. And I started playing a game that I could close my eyes and try to figure out who was praying with me. And I didn't get the Holy Ghost. But when I got sincere, and I prayed at seven years old, God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And that night I got baptized. And it's wonderful to have your spiritual birthday of getting the Holy Ghost and getting baptized, Hill family, on the same night, on the same day. (laughs) So your spiritual birthday is all in one day, and it's wonderful. You can always remember. So I was, Sister Pasley was a tremendous influence in my life as a child. And then, as I grew older, she talked to me one day and she said, now listen, I need you to help with the kids. 
she was still doing the teaching and she said, I think it's your turn. So she began to mentor me and teach me. And it became the biggest treasure for me to be mentored by such a tremendous, tremendous woman. So she is one of my great, great memories that I grew up with uh, of the wonderful heritage that I have. My mother is such a wonderful example of a living epistle. She's 90 years old had five kids, and she still goes to church every opportunity, and I'm hoping she's going to come here and visit after Thanksgiving, and she is just a wonderful, wonderful role model as a Christian, as a mother, as a wife, she is, as a saint, she has just been wonderful, been through a lot in her life, but has overcome Mm. Mm-hmm. And so she's a wonderful role model as well. I've got many others. My Aunt Lena mm-hmm. um, was married to my Uncle Denver. I spent a lot of time with her before they moved. And she was a great role model to me in my life. And we love to cook together. Mm-hmm. We love to cook together. And um, my Aunt Marilyn, Uncle Huey's wife, is a great role model for me as well. She has a great spiritual desire, mm-hmm. and it's a great role model for me in my life. Amen. Well, we'll give you a break from an emotional question. <laughs> okay. Tell us about your schooling. Where did you go? Uh-huh. What were your best subjects, your worst subjects? Were you the teacher's pet? We want to know. <laughs> well... <laughs> I don't remember a lot about school. I, was, I really was pretty shy, but I remember we moved. My dad was transferred, and we moved to West Virginia. Oh, first Kentucky, and then to West Virginia. But when we went to Kentucky and West Virginia, I was shell-shocked because I was old enough to be a city girl. Uh-oh. And and I was absolutely shell-shocked. And I could not understand them talk. They told me they told me that for school it was home ec and I needed to bring a poke and I needed to bring a rack. And I was too shy. <laughs> That's so hard. <laughs> I, I was too shy to ask what that meant. What did it mean? I had no idea. A poke, in case you're ever asked, or in West Virginia, is is like a lunch bag, the the brown lunch bag. That's called a poke. And a rack is a clothes hanger. Did anyone know this in the audience? No, Kristen. Of course you did. But it was it was a total different it was a total different world. Wow. It was like we were on the mission field for sure. <laughs> I mean, my dad tried to to find a church for us to go to, and he would go first to make sure there was no 
critters. There was no snakes involved in their church. Because most of the time, if you say Pentecostal, there's crawling things. And we wanted absolutely none of that. So um, my school, and, and thank God my dad saw the light and let me move back to Ohio. We're glad to. Oh, my. So that's the main thing I remember about school, is I couldn't, after we moved away from Cincinnati, I couldn't understand and talk. All right. It was traumatic. <laughs> Sounds dramatic. But I'm over it now. Okay. Well, what about friends? Were, were you um, very social? I know you, you said you were shy. Oh, I was. Were you, were you social or your siblings were all you could handle? Well, I had a lot of siblings. Yeah. And the twins I needed attention. <laughs> we had one on each arm. If my sister didn't have one, I would have both of them. One time when we lived on Elizabeth Place... It was a two-story house, and the steps up to the bedroom were carpeted, but they were pretty steep. And I was carrying the twi, I don't know, I was probably 11, carrying the twins downstairs, and I fell. And I slid all the way down the steps on my back. At the bottom of the steps, the twins were laughing. And giggling. You were a sled. <laughs> and my back hurt. Oh my goodness. But they were okay. Okay. And why did I answer that? Um, You're my friends. friends. <laughs> my family were a large part of my life. I did have I did have friends here. Um, Melanie Schaefer was a really really good friend of mine. Um, my sister and I, that's two years apart, she and I have always been very, very close. We always said that she and I are friends, and the twins have each other. My sister and I have each other, the twins have each other, and my brother thought we were all born to be his slaves, <laughs> just to do whatever, fetch and carry for him. So, um, And my cousins, um, Uncle Huey, would bring the kids down, and his oldest son, Nathan, and I are six months apart. So we were always inseparable. And then Lisa and Sharon were um, a week apart, so they were very, very close. My brother and Gary were four months apart, very, very close. And then, of course, the twins had each other. So... We were perfectly paired, and when we moved to the farm, we had 300 acres. Dad thought that we needed to learn how to live in the country. And so the cousins would come down. It didn't matter if you had a bedroom, they'd sleep in the barn, all this kind of stuff. I couldn't handle it, but they did. It was on that farm where Dad thought it would be good if each of us had I've told some of you this. Each of us had a row that we were responsible for in the garden. And the row was as wide as this church, I think. And we were responsible for that. And so, okay, we go out. We're all taking care of our row. And he came over and he said, what are you doing? I said, Dad, I've taken care of my row. 
He said, you've chopped down every tomato plant I planted. <laughs> I said, I thought they were weeds. <laughs> he said, get in the house to the kitchen with your mother. And I said, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. <laughs> so I was in the kitchen from then on. It worked. Okay, so you weren't a gardener. I was not a gardener. <laughs> but what, what kind of jobs have you had? Well, I worked for a while in a hospital pharmacy, which I really, really enjoyed. So I went to college, came here to, to uh, UC, and went to college to be a pharmacist because it was really interesting. And I needed some money while you're going to college. You know how that goes. So my cousin Nathan, that I'm so close to, was working at a bank, Provident Bank. And he said, come work with me as a teller. You can earn some money while you're going to school. And I said, okay. So I ended up, whenever they introduced me um, at work, they'd say, she went from drugs to money. <laughs> wow. Because I went from... <laughs> being a pharmacist into banking. <laughs> so I, I started out at the bank as a teller, and then I did just about every position, and then I, was a, I went to the loan department, and I ended up running loan. I was a loan officer for a while, and then I ran loan operations, and then they decided, well, we really need somebody with lending experience in programming to tell the programmers what to do. So they had one person from lending and then one person from the deposit side that went to programming, and I was there. And then 9-11 happened, oh and the world changed, including banking. And they realized, you know what? This, if we had been looking and watching all of all of the financial industry. If we had been watching and looking, we would have been able to detect patterns. Mm. And we would have known wow. that something was coming. And we could have prevented this. So all of the banks thought, well, maybe we should have a department that really is anti-money laundering and terrorist financing is part of the compliance department. So I, um, my boss was going to lead that department and ask me to come. So I spent the rest of my career at the bank in anti-money laundering and terrorist financing. And I could talk a long time about that because it's really, really, really interesting. Wow. It's really interesting. Um, there are... A lot of stories. I did get to go to Washington, D.C. and testify once. You did? Yes, I did. See, we knew you were important. Yeah. yeah. They, they did interview. The attorneys from um, Washington came to the bank, and they interviewed a bunch of people. And uh, they had to have a representative from our bank to testify. So I guess I was the one they could do without. So they sent me to Washington. <laughs> <laughs> and I testified. So that was something that I enjoyed. I guess I can say that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it was, I had a very interesting, fulfilling career, and I really enjoyed it. Okay. All right. I did. 
So I think you kind of already answered this question, but I want to give you the chance to answer it in your own way. What is something that most people don't know about you? Oh, dear. Inquiring minds want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you one thing. This answers maybe another question as well, almost. But (coughs) my mother has... <clears throat> a, uh, I guess it's these days it's called an anti-immune deficiency something another something another where her skin is not all the same she has patches um, on her skin that have no pigment in them so she's always had to be very very careful going out in the sun or whatever when we were little she had white spots mm-hmm. and she had to be very careful of those white spots well the older she got it's now she has a couple brown spots because she's lost all the pigment just about. And she wears, you know, she's Pentecost. She wears long sleeves, nine X, but it's a lot of it. It's because of her lack of pigmentation. So um, she was concerned. My grandfather had it, and and it was passed to her, and it is very hereditary. So I ended up with not necessarily a skin. Um, issue, but I always, from the day I was born, I had a white streak in my hair, or a blonde streak in my, it's white now, uh, blonde streak in my hair, and, and? some of you, I know what you're going to say. Do you know? You've told me. <laughs> I have, now don't look at me, look up at the ceiling, <laughs> I have one eyebrow that is blonde. And one eyebrow that is brown. I can confirm. This is true. <laughs> and eyelashes, too. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And I will go ahead and tell you that um, it never really bothered. I mean, it was just something I grew up with. One side, is it this side? Mm-hmm. Is, is, it's, like, it's like there's two different, you know, sides of me. I think there's a word for that. But, you know, it's like there's two different sides. And it never bothered me. And every once in a while, I'd catch somebody like Miriam when she was real little. She'd just look at me and away. And then she'd, she'd Aunt Teresa? And then we'd talk about it. But, you know, I really don't get But, you know, when I was younger, in my, in my uh, teens, late teens, I thought, you know, this is really bad. You look horrible. You know? Does God want you to look like this? I mean, there's ways that this can be fixed. Oh, boy. So I got some (laughs) mascara. And I got really good at at, um, putting it on the blonde side. And on my eyelashes, where I would look normal. Both of my faces look the same. <laughs> I'm not saying it was good, but both of them look the same. And I thought, oh, this is wonderful. But you know, you can't, before you can do anything, you got to get that done. Or Lord, when you take it off, it's really scary. <laughs> so I did that for a few months. And then one day, God talked to me and said, What are you doing? What are you doing? That is not right. That's the way I made you. Live with it. Wow. Wow. There's a lot of people that have worse. It's not a deformity. Live with it. 
And I remember being at the altar and having my Kleenex and taking my crying so much. God, you really don't mean this. You don't understand, God. You're not a girl. You don't understand. And God said, take it off. So I remember using my Kleenex and my tears. And I kept that Kleenex, that brown Kleenex, for a long time. I don't have it now. Don't worry. (laughs) But I kept that for a long time to remind me. You know, when God talks to you Mm. about something, that is important. Mm -hmm. I could not go against God. So that's why I look different and have two different sides. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's very interesting. Thank yeah. you for sharing So that. now you know. Now you know what you didn't know about Sister <laughs> Teresa Prophet. Okay, we're going to talk about your spiritual journey. I feel like you told us yes, how you came I, to Calvary. Yes. Um, but I want you to, to tell everybody the, some of the ministries you've served mm-hmm. in through the years. Well, I was hoping Andrew Sizemore would be here because I know he really wanted to know this, and he needed to know this, and I'm sure nobody will pass really, along. You'll pass it along? Yeah. Um, some of you may remember Sean's walking out because <laughs> he's part of the music team, and I, for years, till we got to this, well, for years, I played the accordion. She did. We had an orchestra. We had an orchestra. It was amazing. And my accordion was big. I mean, if I set it, it was this, because it had full-size keys. That's right. And it was really, really big. What color was it? I played the accordion. It was white. It was white. And you know the reason I played the accordion? (laughs) Because Mary Alice Pasley, my idol, played the accordion. (laughs) I couldn't play it like her. In fact... I had to be in an orchestra so nobody could hear just me. <laughs> okay. So um, I was I, I did I was in the music for a little bit, but my most of my ministry was always with the children. So I taught. You taught. You Love taught. my kids. Generations of the Calvary Church. Um, so talk to us about what I remember as King's Kids, which, if I'm remembering right, was on Wednesday night. Yes. Um, I, I know you have stories. I know there are those of us who are grown and even in ministry that you could tell lots of stories <laughs> about. Yeah. But um, what, we'll start here, what is your favorite lesson that you taught or still teach to children? I know Anthony, I know what Anthony's going to say. There's two that I really like Mm -hmm. that I would teach, well, there's several that I would teach every single year, over and over, whether they wanted to hear it or not. At least once a year, we would have Snowflake. Snowflake was a lamb. And I should have brought Snowflake. But Snowflake is a lamb that I teach, and it's, it's about the, the lost sheep. And that's a great lesson, and I would let the kids hold it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the second lesson that I love to teach in the winter 
is the frog story. Oh, the frog story. Yes, yes. Yes. Very good. So oh, those are two of my favorites. Sorry. Before I forget, who in the audience was a part of Sister Teresa's King's Kid? Raise them high. Be proud. Look, look at that. Look at that. Now, how many of us have, our children have been taught by Sister <laughs> Teresa? Just, there we go. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. What a blessing. Can you tell us a funny story or memory you have specifically of teaching <laughs> King's kids. And if it involves someone in this room, I'd like you to identify them, please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, one of them is real short. Um, Sister Burton. Your grandson was in my class, <laughs> and he spoke very little, little <clears throat> English. I had three years of Spanish in high school, I want you to know. <laughs> so I'm trying to make him feel comfortable. And we do have Spanish songs that we sang all the time that we would, um, that we would sing. But I wanted to tell him, I can't remember what it was. I think I was trying to show him where the, where the seat was or where something was. Anyway, silly me said, which means shut your mouth. <laughs> and as soon as it was out of my mouth, you know, I knew. And, and so then I'm trying to apologize to this poor kid and can't remember any word. So that was horrible of me. <laughs> and then we were over on Kemper Road. I don't know, know you all that were on Kemper Road. If you remember, back in the fellowship hall, mm -hmm. there's a fireplace. So every once in a while during the winter, we would put, I would put, bring blankets in. Put blankets all over the fellowship hall down there. And we would sit on the blankets, and I would teach the lesson. It was nice, cozy. And I bought a, um, a log, because, you know, I can't make a fire for nothing. But I bought one of those logs that you just put the light to. So I put the log on, lit it, and we're having our lesson, and we're, we're all sitting on the floor and having such a great time. And all of a sudden, all these people start coming back. All these men start coming back to the fellowship hall. I didn't know what was going on. Well, I had no idea that there was anything called a damper <laughs> on a fireplace. I had no idea. And it was closed, which is not what it's supposed to be. And smoke was going over our heads because we were all seated. <laughs> we didn't see it. It was going, it went all the way through the halls <laughs> of that church on Kemper to the sanctuary. And they thought the church was on fire. And they came <laughs> running back. And so I learned about a damper. <laughs> and... I'm sure the kids have no idea. I don't know if you were in there or not, but you weren't that. damaged by the smoke, evidently. <laughs> well, I guess that's debatable, but... <laughs>
Um, any other uh, TCC memories, maybe not specific to King's kids, but something funny about? Oh, my. I know there's a lot, but. We were on Kemper Road. And you really had to be there. But Sister Pasley was up. Brother Pasley was behind her. He was, she was just up to make a quick <laughs> announcement. And he was standing behind her. And she said, now church, we're going to, you know what I'm going to say? Yes. We're going to have the ladies' brazier. No, the ladies' brazier. <laughs> and as soon as she said it, she put her hands down like this, and you could hear her in the mic. She's laughing and laughing, and Brother Pasley's standing behind her, and you could just see his shoulders. <laughs> and I mean, it was minutes. I mean, nothing could happen. All you heard was laughter. And then she'd hold her head up and try to back down and <laughs> laughing hysterically. So anytime we have a ladies' bazaar, <laughs> we never announced it from the platform. But if you know what's going on, let's just come back. <laughs> oh my. The whole church just stopped and erupted in laughter. It was hysterical. That's, that's a good one. All right, well, we'll shift gears here. What... What is one of your um, most spiritual memories or experiences here at, at Calvary? Maybe a, a revival meeting or a prayer meeting, a, a sermon that you remember that just stands out? Um, there's two in particular instances that I wanted to mention real quick. Although last week's Sunday morning service was awesome. It was, that message was so good. However, it was, it was really good. Um, I remember <laughs> when I was a teenager that there came a point in time, and I really don't remember the message, but it must have been really good. I remember going to the altar and then finding a place, it must have been in the pews, all by myself with nobody around. And the Lord talked to me. And it was at that point that the Lord, and I was already by myself. I mean, I, I didn't live alone, but thank God my family, my dad let me move out of West Virginia, so I was in Ohio. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I have a work for you to do. And you have to decide, are you living for God because your parents did? And that's all you know. Or are you going to live for God because you need to be saved? And I remember that conversation with the Lord so clearly. And that was a decision day for me. I'd had the Holy Ghost for years. But that was a decision for me that I will never forget. We have to make decisions ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, not because of what our family did, not because it's a tradition, but we have to come to the realization that we're in this ourselves. Mm 
I appreciate my background. I appreciate my family. But we have to do this because we want to. And the other time I will never forget, you already alluded to it. I had the King's kids, and we had some lesson. And all of a sudden, the power of the Lord hit, and all of the kids started raising their hands and worshiping, and they were seeking for the Holy Ghost. And I was the only one in there. And I looked around, and no, there was no other adult. And I thought, what am I going to do? Look at all of these kids. And God said, yep, that's the way it is. I'm looking for workers. I'm looking for people because there's a world out there in the United States, in Cincinnati, Ohio, in Springdale that need me. And they're not all just kids. But thank God for the kids. And I sent somebody out real fast that should have been praying but wasn't. And I don't think it was you, Anthony. And I sent them out and got parents. And the parents came back, and that was the night. Mm-hmm. We, took, we took them into the sanctuary, and it became a whole thing that um, several of them got the Holy Ghost that night. And I remember going home saying, oh, my word. Now I can die. (laughs) You know, what a better dream could you have to see all these kids get the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. All right. Um, Just a couple more questions. Oh, my. You've got for God for a long time. What what advice would you give to someone who is new in their faith? Come to church. I don't have anything that's more powerful than that. If you don't come to church, you don't get fed. When you don't feel good, come to church. Not when you have COVID, of course, but when you don't feel good, come to church. When you're so tired because you've worked really hard all day, come to church. When your kids have just, you want to get rid of them, but you know you can't, come to church. Bring them to church. No matter what's going on, get to church. Because at church is where you're going to be fed. At church is where you're going to find your peace. You're going to find the answers. Not in every service, like this one. But you're going to find, you're going to find the answers. You're going to find what God has for you. So my advice is just come to church. Amen. God will meet you there. Amen. My last question is a big one. What, Sister Teresa Prophet, does the Calvary Church mean to you? Home. It just means home. I am very fortunate that I was raised here. This was always our church, even when we were away, when my dad moved us away for his job. Um, My dad ended up starting a church because he couldn't find one that didn't have snakes. Um, 
And <laughs> well, thank God he started one. He did. And it was the thrill of our life when the Pasleys came down oh. and held a revival for us. And um, But Cincinnati has always been home. And I was so thankful when my dad said, you know, I understand that West Virginia is not for you. It's a lovely place to visit. It's beautiful this time of year. Their trees are great. But I understand this is not your home. And I'm so thankful he let me come back, you know, to Cincinnati when I was, you know, I was still a teenager. But that he let me, he, he could do without me and sent me away. And I was very, very thankful. This is home to me. Amen. Well, I know for many of us, you make us feel at home here. You are a living epistle. And I want to, um, it's my turn. <laughs> I want to read this verse to you because... I believe that it represents uh, well who you are and what you mean to many of us here at Calvary. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by everyone at the Calvary Church. You are an epistle of Christ, Sister Teresa, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, generations of the Calvary Church that you have invested in, have taught the word of God and facilitated uh, moves of God, and we thank you and honor you, uh, not for just what you've done in the past, but what you continue to do every Sunday. You make this place a great place to belong, and we honor you for all that you do for all of us. So I thank you for submitting to this. It's been a wonderful time getting to know you, um, but would you close Growth University by praying for the Calvary Church? Lord, I'm so thankful for these people. I'm so thankful, God, that you have given us a place in Cincinnati where we can worship you where we can learn and we can grow. Help us, God, to come to church, to give our hearts to you, our lives to you, God, because it, it is worth it all. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy for, for looking over on my life, protecting my life. I thank you for these men and women who have been pillars in my life, God. Bless us tonight. Take us home safely. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being uh, at Growth University. We have one more installment of our Living Epistle series next week, and you will have to come to find out who those <laughs> epistles are. God bless you. Please greet someone on your way out tonight. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, 
and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.